0: Take your Bibles and go ahead and turn with me to Genesis chapter 12. We'll be looking at a passage there in just a a few minutes. But as you're turning, uh, I want to ask you uh, a few questions and give you just a quick little quiz. And uh, hopefully you'll you'll be able to answer these questions. They're, They're pretty simple and this can be an interactive time where you're allowed to talk. Uh, so I'll go ahead and throw that caveat in there. Um, I want to say a person's name, and then I want to you to tell me what is that person's legacy. What, what is that person known for? Uh, and So these will be pretty simple, uh, so you should be able to get it. Uh, so let's start out. George Washington. First president, yes, father of the country. You know, a lot of different things that we could say about George Washington. That's his legacy. That's what we know him for. Uh, Abraham Lincoln. 16th president, Gettysburg Address, Address, president during the Civil War, lots of different things, whether you're from the South or North, you know, it may depend on how you view him. Uh, Yeah, as our Southerner there says. Uh, The Wright Brothers. Yes, the first uh, manned uh, uh, airplane. Uh, Babe Ruth. Home run king, seven hundred fourteen home runs. Played for the Yankees. Uh, pitcher for Boston at one point. All right, Lottie Moon, China missions and Christmas offering. Those are the, you know, We know Christmas offering, but she was also a missionary. Uh, so hopefully we'll remember that. Martin Luther, the Reformation. We got to say Martin Luther on uh, Reformation Day, no Bill already mentioned that this morning. Uh, and this next one, I don't want you to uh, uh, to answer. I just want you to think. Uh, we're thinking about the legacy that a person leaves, and so I ask you, what is the legacy you will leave? These other people, you know, we know specifically what what they're known for. So, what is it that you'll be known for in the time that you go and leave this world? Tonight, we're going to look at the life of Abraham uh, and take just a few moments just to look at his life and consider his legacy, what he is known for. And there's a lot that we can learn from, and we could really spend a whole lot of time just focusing on Abraham tonight. But I want us just to mainly just focus on a couple of different things about Abraham, two aspects of his life. The first that I want us to think about and remember about the legacy that Abraham has left us is the legacy of faith is the faith that Abraham displays. The first reference we have to Abraham in the Bibles in in Genesis chapter 11, this is right before uh, the main passage that we see in in Genesis 12. I want to start out 1127 and just read a a few verses. These are our first records that we have of, of Abraham. It says in Genesis 11, verse 27, Now these are the records of the generation of Terah. Terah became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran became the father of Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his birth and Ur of the Chaldeans. Abram and, uh, and Nahor took wives for themselves. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah, and Iscah. Sarai was barren. She had no child. Terah took Abram his son, Lot the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai his daughter in law, his son, Abram's wife. And they went out together from Ur of the Chaldeans in order to enter the land of Canaan. And they went as far as Haran and settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died uh, in Haran. Now, there's just a couple quick things that that we learned about Abraham here in these verses. You know, first we learned that he had no son. Uh, he had no descendants to, to speak of at this point and he lived in the the land of Haran. and now looking back on him and and knowing what we know about Abraham at this point he doesn't really seem to be a likely person who God would use you know we know looking back on Abraham now that Abraham was a the man that God used to uh, as kind of the the father of Israel uh, in which He was the first of of God's chosen people in creating the covenant people of Israel. Uh, And so we look at him, and from this standpoint here in just these verses, what we see, and he's not the most likely candidate because he is a man who doesn't have any descendants. He's getting up in age, uh, and he lives in this uh, this pagan land. And so from our wisdom, this doesn't seem like the man that we would choose uh, to be the father of Israel. But in God's perfect choice and his sovereignty and his perfect plan, according to his perfect wisdom, he, he chooses Abraham to be the man through whom Israel will look back and see as kind of their founding father. And I want us to look and see Genesis 12, starting there, the faith that we see from the life of Abraham. And so let's start out just Genesis chapter 12, this, this unlikely man. And see the faith that he displays. Genesis chapter 12, starting at verse 1. Listen to what God's word says. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. Let's just stop right there before we move on to any of the rest of this passage. What is it that God commands Abram to do? Go. Go a very simple command go to the land uh, that I will show you now let's think for just a second what is it that uh, that Abraham knows about his calling at this point Just essentially nothing all he knows about his calling is that it's to go and to leave the land uh, that he knows and at some point later, we don't know exactly what time that is. Abraham doesn't know what time that is. At some point later, God is going to show him the land that he's supposed to go to. But it, basically, I want, you to, I want you to think about and listen what God says, Abraham, go do. Abraham, I want you to go and leave your country. Abraham, I want you to go and leave your relatives. Abraham, I want you to go and leave your father's house. Basically, God is telling him to leave everything that is dear to him. All the land that he he has known, the country that he's lived in, all the, the customs that he's used to, the language that he's used to, the people that he's used to, just the way of life that he's used to. God says, go, leave that. Your father's household, your relatives that you know, I want you to go leave those. Basically, everything that you know, everything that you've experienced, everything that almost that you've held dear in your life, I'm saying to go and leave that, and I'll show you where you're supposed to go. Now, I want you to think about that and put yourself in Abraham's shoes. Think about that as if you are Abraham for a moment. God tells you to to go leave your country where you've known and live somewhere different you don't know where it's going to be you know that it's probably going to be dangerous you know you think about travel during this time it, any kind of travel would be a dangerous prospect going to some far-off land possibly would be even more dangerous there are robbers who are on the sides of the road travel itself is uncertain you don't have the weather channel or the weather app on your iPhone uh, to tell you what to expect you don't have Holiday Inn that you can stop at, and uh, the Rolls Royce of the day is a camel, you know. So it's not the uh, the easiest way to get around, and yet God says to go. You leave probably most of your family, some that you may never see again. You leave that. What would you do if you're in Abraham's shoes here? God says, go. Gives that kind of command. What would you do? Abraham goes. Listen to what it says next. In verse 4, we'll skip over 2 and 3 for right now. So Abraham went forth as the Lord had spoken to him. And Lot went with him. Now Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Abram took Sarai his wife and Lot his nephew and all their possessions which he had accumulated and the persons which they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan. And thus they came to the land of Canaan. Now I want you to catch something here about Abraham. Do you notice what his age was here? says Abram was 75 years old. And course, as we know, his wife is 10 years younger than him, so she's about 65 at this time. And so I'm kind of venturing into some dangerous territory here. But, uh, but Abraham wasn't, wasn't a spring chicken. you know. He's not the youngest uh, at this point, but yet he goes. He doesn't look at his age and make that an excuse for not going. He simply looks at the call of God and says, God has commanded me, and so I am going to go. This is a picture of a man stepping out in faith and not a man who offers up an excuse saying, I am past my prime or I am past the time that I can really go on this kind of journey. He just simply says, I will go. And he goes and leaves his land, everything that he has known. This uh, thinking about Abraham reminds me of a, uh, a man that I've been reading about lately a biography I've been uh, uh, working through a man by the name of C.T. Studd C.T. Studd is a, uh, a man who became well-known in missions in the uh, late 1800's early 1900's he's a British man and uh, he was famous for playing cricket uh, in, uh, in England and I don't know anything about cricket but evidently he was good at it and uh, he was really well known for it and when he got finished playing cricket in this early twenties he really started feeling God leading him to the mission field Uh, and so he went uh, to China uh, with Henry Hudson uh, and uh, with Hudson Mission uh, there in, uh, in China and went and spent years uh, serving in China, even though people were telling him, you don't need to go. It's a dangerous territory over there. You-, you don't need to worry about it. There are others who can go. You're famous as a cricket player. Why don't you stay here and you can do more good staying here uh, and, uh, and just telling people about Christ here because they know you and they'll listen to you. Uh, but he couldn't deny the call. Uh, and so he left and went uh, to uh, uh, missions in China. He spent, uh, he spent years there serving in China. He got to be the age of 53, and he was in very poor health. And his health was deteriorating, and uh, he was getting older. Uh, many of his friends and his family looked at him and said, it's time to retire. You deserve it. You've put in your time. You've put in your work. It's time to slow down, go back home, and take it easy. Well, C.T. Studd thought about this, and uh, he decided that uh, the best response to that was to just go to Africa uh, instead uh, and go to the middle of the, of the African continent in the darkest jungle reaches area of the, of the Congo uh, there in Africa, and everybody opposed him in this and said, your, your health is too bad. You're not doing well. Even his wife didn't like the idea of him going. When he left at the age of 53, this, this is what he said. He left a little postcard on his desk for anybody who might wonder where he's gone and why he has done this. He said, if Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. And later on, when he actually went to Africa, uh, into the Congo. This is. These are one of the ro- words that he wrote. Uh, he said, Last June at the mouth of the Congo there awaited a thousand prospectors, traders, merchants, and gold seekers waiting to rush into these regions as soon as the government opened the door to them. For rumor declared that there is an abundance of gold. If such men hear so loudly the call of gold and obey it, can it be that the ears of Christ's soldiers are deaf to the call of God? Are gamblers for gold so many and gamblers for God so few? This is a man who said, we dig in the ground for trinkets and we'll risk our lives for this little yellow clump of rock, but we won't risk our lives for the sake of the gospel to these millions of people in Africa who've never heard the truth of the gospel. He's saying, why are gamblers for God so few? He was unwilling to make any excuses for not stepping out into obedience to the call of God. No matter what It was about his life. And when I think about Abraham, 75 years old, stepping out in faith, no real excuses that are offered, I get that picture of unswerving faith. Trust in God, no matter what. This isn't just true, and we look at one end of the age spectrum. It's the same on the opposite end of the age spectrum. We don't make excuses in obedience and trust in God because we've reached a certain age. We don't make excuses in obedience and trust in God because we're teenagers, because we're in college. The example before us, no matter what our age is, is to step out in obedience, unswerving faith to the God of the universe when he calls us and when he commands us. And this is what Abram does. Steps out in this kind of obedience. And so he goes out. And I want you to notice what he does when he goes. Start back, look back at chapter 12, uh, verse 6. I want you to notice some of the things that happens. He goes, Abram passed through the land as far as the side of Shechem to the oak of Moorah. Now the Canaanite was then in the land, pagans living in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your descendants I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him, and then he proceeded from there to the mountain on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And he's traveling through these pagan lands with these pagan gods in which people worship all these false idols that they have made with their own hands, bowing down to them with their false altars set up all throughout the land. And it's as if wherever Abraham goes, he said no matter. the cost, no matter what it is, I am going to worship my God, and I'm going to worship my God alone, and wherever it is, no matter the dangers I'm facing, praise be to God. I worship Him. Praise be to God. I face this pagan people, so be it. Praise be to God. And so we see him doing that, going throughout the land, just worshiping God. Even as he goes to these pagan lands where people are probably opposing him, that he only worships this one God rather than the idols and the false gods that they have set up and are worshiping on their own. This is bold faith. This is a man who is unswerving and is trusting faith in God because he knows the greatness of his God. Well, what else could he do but have this kind of faith? So, Abraham has this kind of amazing faith in leaving his home. But there's another aspect of Abraham's faith I want you to notice. This is something that you know. Abraham shows true faith when it comes to his family. Look back at, the, at chapter 12, um, starting at verse 2. We skipped over verses 2 and 3 when we were looking through this. This is right after God gives the command to Abram, go to the land I'm going to show you. And this is what he says. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, so you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you, I will curse. In you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. God gives them this promise that he is going to make Abram into a great nation. This man who has no children of his own, who has no descendants, no heirs to speak of, God says this promise, I will make you into a great nation. As so they don't have any kids at this time. We remember the age of Abraham that we talked about. And uh, just in case you haven't you know, figured this out, this is generally past the time uh, of them having a children of their own. Uh, and so, Abraham has to be hearing this and, and knowing the reality, but yet we get continued trust in God. So God makes this amazing promise that Abraham is going to be a great nation. Now flip over to Genesis 15. Genesis 15, this is where God makes a covenant with Abraham. I want you to listen to what, what happens here. Genesis 15, after these things, verse 1, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not fear, Abram. I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. And then Abraham offers up up this question. He has to be thinking about this. Oh, Lord God, what will you give me since I am childless and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus, a servant he has. Well, it must be that Eliezer is going to be my my, uh, heir. And so Abraham said, since you have given no offspring to me, one born in my house is my heir. It has to be this guy because I don't have any kids of my own. And so then God makes this promise. I want you to to listen to this. Then behold, the word of the Lord came came to him, saying, This man will not be your heir, but one who will come forth from your own body. He shall be your heir. And he took him outside and said, Now look toward the heavens and count the stars, if you are able to count them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. God makes this amazing promise that so shall your descendants be. It's the number of the stars in the sky. You won't be able to count them. What's Abraham's response? It's belief. It's trust. Look at the very next verse. It says there in verse 6 that he believed in the Lord and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. He trusted what God says and the word here says that God reckoned it to him as righteousness. This is exactly what we were talking about this morning. We were talking about justification by faith. God credited it, accounted it to Abraham. That God, Abraham believed God, so God takes that belief, that trust, and accounts it to Abraham's credit as righteousness. Not that Abraham was righteous in anything that he had done, that he was perfect in anything he had done, but God justifies him, credits him to his account that he is righteous because he is trusted. Because of this belief in what God has said. And so then God makes this covenant with Abraham. Look, look at verse 17, starting there. Uh, we get this picture of God going through this covenant ceremony. And it came about when the sun had set that it was very dark. Hold, there appeared a smoking oven and a flaming torch which passed between these pieces. And on that day the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying, to your descendants I have given this land from the river of Egypt as far as the great river the Euphrates God makes a covenant with him saying I make this solemn promise that it will be that this is what will happen so shall your descendants be and Abraham trusts God this is amazing faith. And this is what we see exercised in Abraham's life at many different times. You remember the, one of the, the greatest things that Abraham is known for. You remember the passage of Abraham and Isaac going up on the mountain. One of the, one of the most famous events uh, with, the, uh, with the life of Abraham. You know, God granted him a son, Isaac. And then God presents this, this unbelievable picture uh, to Abraham. Uh, Flip over in your Bible to uh, Genesis 22. We'll look at this briefly. Genesis 22, starting at uh, um, verse 1. I just want you to listen to what God calls Abraham to do. Now, it came about after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your now, your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. That's it. There's no explanation. There's no laid out saying, this is why I want you to do this, or this is what I'm going to do when we go there. Just this is blatant, bold command. Go to the Mount Moriah, take your son, Offer him as a burnt offering. You know, most of us have been hearing that since we're kids uh, in Sunday school, so we're, we're almost kind of dulled, deadened to what that's really saying. Anyone during this time period would have had a graphic picture in their mind when it came to a sacrifice. God was saying, go sacrifice your son. And so when this command was given to Abraham, he would have immediately thought in his head, all that went into that. Uh, this kind of sacrifice, an animal would be taken, its throat would be cut, blood would be draining out, be cut into pieces, placed on that altar, set on fire. And so God says, "I want you to go do this same thing with your son." And Abraham would have immediately thought in his mind all the grisly, horrible details that would be involved in that kind of sacrifice. His only son. And what's his response? He goes. I want you to listen. I want you to listen to these two things that are said. Verse 5. Listen to what he says. Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the lad will go over there and we will worship. And we will return to you. Hold that in your mind. Verse 7. Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father, and he said, Here I am, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? So Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And so the two of them walked on together. Here we see two of the greatest statements of faith that we see in the Old Testament. Amazing statements. God says, go sacrifice your son. Abraham goes, set intent to do that. But yet he says, I'm going to return with my son. God's going to provide the sacrifice. Whether it be through God raising him from the dead or God providing a sacrifice, I I don't know. But all I know is God has made a promise that my descendants will be as numerous as the stars. He is fulfilling that promise through Isaac. And I know that he is going to continue fulfilling that promise. And so even if my son dies today, he will raise him back to life. I don't know, I can't understand, but I will trust my God in this. Now, think about that and think, is that not faith, trust in the goodness and the word of our God? That is faith. Faith. And so when we look back on the life of Abraham. We think about his faith. 2,000 years after Abraham was dead and gone, there was a a church that was struggling. There were some people in this church who were tempted to turn back to their old ways. They were struggling to... to to have faith, and to follow after God. So somebody wrote uh, basically what amounts to a sermon to this church, and in that, he offered up these examples of faith, and he pointed them to Abraham as one of those examples of faith. This is Hebrews chapter 11. It's a great hall of faith chapter. So I want you to turn there. Turn to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8. By faith Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith, even Sarah herself received ability to conceive even beyond the proper time of life, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, uh, there was born even of one man, and him as good as dead at that, as mean descendants as the stars of heaven in number, and innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. And skip on down to verse 17. By faith... Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was offering up his only begotten son. It was he to whom it was said, "In Isaac, your descendants shall be called. He considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead, from which he also received him back as a type. This author says, look back on the life of Abraham. Look at his model of faith. Now, did Abraham get it all right? No. Abraham Abraham blew it in a lot of ways he was going down to Egypt and uh, was worried that people might kill him so he said oh this isn't my wife she's my my sister and he didn't just do that once he did it twice uh, and so Abraham you know he he's not perfect in everything but that's not what the writer of Hebrews points to he points to the faith of Abraham and so tonight that's what I want you to to look at and that's what I want to point to you so what is the legacy that you'll leave in your life is it going to be a legacy that you you know you did great in your career is it going to be a legacy that you know you had a great retirement or is it going to be a legacy that you know had a cool car What what's your legacy going to be I would encourage you to look at the life of Abraham and think will I be known as a man or a woman of faith will I be a man or woman who, when people look at my life they say she trusted God she followed him was obedient to him no matter what it cost she'd be obedient she would step out she lived all her life in obedient faithfulness to him. You know, he even, even as he neared retirement, it wouldn't slow down. Even as he grew older, he wouldn't slow down in his life. He would step out and follow God in faith no matter what. May that be what you and I are known for. That kind of legacy of faith. Trust. Obedience to our God. Because he is worth it. He is worth following no matter what the cost. Let's pray. God, we we are grateful for the example of Abraham. And we are thankful for your word that has laid out to us how we are to follow you. God, I pray that you'll help us to be obedient in that. God, I pray that we won't be satisfied with the stuff of this world. But that we will hunger to live our lives in faithful following after you. No matter what your word says, no matter what you call us to do. Help us to be obedient to that. Now God, as we go into this time of congregational meeting, I pray that you will bless this time. You'll continue granting us unity. And that we as a church body will be faithful in following you. In obedience to you. No matter what it is. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen.